You've tuned in to the Kurimao News. Jingiwala, welcome to another Kuri Mao News podcast and our first episode back for 2022. I'm Nick Payton and it's great to be here with you again. And today I have Amarina Toby with me in the studio. Amarina is a Bunjalungangalu woman and our social media coordinator here at the Kuri Mao newspaper. Amarina, thanks so much for coming on to Kuri Mao News. It's such an amazing opportunity to be here in the studio with you, Nick. Thank you. So good to have you here. And now, Amarina, I believe you're going to be also doing a little bit of show hosting. So we've got the Big Dory podcast and Koori Mao News, and you'll be doing a bit of hosting on both of them. Yes, I have been roped into this, so you'll get to hear my lovely voice all year round. <laughs> we can't wait because I think, you know, with uh, your networks and your experience and especially your role at the Koori Mao newspaper at the moment, we're going to get some deadly yarns out of you and whoever um, you have interviewing coming up on those podcasts. So really excited about what the future is going to bring with you in the hosting chair. Now, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners and just letting them know a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So like you said, I'm from the Bundjalung Nation and that is on my maternal line. So I'm actually from Western Bundjalung from the Githabul um, mob and I'm a Williams on that side. And so I... Personally, I'm just a bit of a bucket list collector. Like I've done a lot of things in my life and my current project that I'm working on is that I opened an Indigenous art gallery in Lismore right before the first of our three lockdowns last year. So we are still standing. We are still showcasing. um, We are now showcasing 12 local Indigenous artists, actually, all who have a connection to the Bundjalung Nation. Too deadly. Yeah. Yep. And so your gallery um, has just opened up and that's on Bundjalung Country here in Lismore, yeah? Yeah. So you can actually find us down in the Starcourt Arcade. It's a little, tiny little space. It's like only 14 square metres, but it is the beginning of something great to come. And how's business been going so far? Lots of people through the door? It has actually been phenomenal. The reception of community has been great. The artists have been so supportive. The wider community has responded really well with this space that's been open. I think the community, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, has been crying out for this sort of space. And so it's just been phenomenal to have the amount of people that come through our doors. And it's really something I think that um, our little town here in Lismore needed, especially in 2017, we had the massive one in 100 year flood come through, which inundated the whole town. And to now have, you know, a lot of those um, shops were empty for the last couple of years since the flood came through. Some shops never opened up again and went out of business. And to see you building something that's so important, um, such as an Indigenous art gallery uh, here on Widgeable Wireable Land in Lismore, is, as you said, it's something that was absolutely needed. And I'm, I'm so proud that everything's going so well for you there. Boogle Bear. Thanks, Nick. Now, Amarina, what have we got coming up on today's podcast? So today on the Kuru Mail News, we're going to have a bit of a quick yarn about what Mob has been doing for the January 26th and how that looks for different people. And we're also going to have a quick yarn with Nathan Brennan, who's been involved in the Freedom School and developing that on Gumbangi land. Deadly. And that was a great article that we featured in our previous edition of the Kurimao newspaper. Can't wait to hear that interview. And also for our listeners, at the end of the episode, you'll be hearing a pre-recorded interview uh, that I did with Auntie Barb Nicholson about the Dreaming Inside poetry series. Now, we did that interview toward the end of last year, and that will be coming up toward the end of the podcast. So 
Amarina, we know that uh, this week it was Invasion Day on January 26 here in Australia. And look, while we know many people living here in Australia refer to this day as Australia Day, it's actually more a day of mourning for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, representing the survival from invasion by the British. And so this year, with a massive heap of COVID restrictions in place, things have had to change in terms of gatherings. And on the Koori Mail's other podcast show, The Big Dory, Naomi Morin and Luke Carroll spoke to Tim Leha from Koori Radio about the changes they've had to make to the Yabun Festival held in Sydney, which was predominantly held online this year. So you've got a bit of a story now about the same kind of thing that was happening in Townsville where, you know, events and, you know, things had to be shifted because of COVID. Yeah, Nick. So Townsville's actually suffering like the biggest outbreak that they've had this whole past two years. And so it has put a lot of community at risk. And so Arnie Roz, who's a complete powerhouse of a woman, had to make the tough but also wise decision to shift this in-person event to an online platform. So what that meant for the community is that they came in the week before and they were able to pre-record everything and it's just phenomenal the amount of work that they've put into it. So that was hosted by Big Eye Theatre up in Townsville and so they filmed on Wagarupaba country. Apologies if I am pronouncing this wrong. Um, but yes, yeah, so they got all of the different mob who were going to be involved in the day to pre-record. So it's just amazing the amount of stuff they've got on it. It was a full five hour streamed yesterday. That's massive coordination getting all that together, isn't it? Yeah. So it was amazing. All the young mob who stepped up, um, they had a guy who could do all of the filming and the sound and really supported the artists because a lot of this is, there's a lot of elders in community that don't haven't gotten behind a camera before. And so this is their first time. And so they are very supportive of that. And so over these five hours, if you head over to the Big Eye Theatre, um, whether it's the Facebook or the website or the Instagram, they'll have a link to this YouTube presentation. You can still watch it in the coming weeks. And it's, so, yeah, it's five hours of conversations within community about, you know, what we've seen over the years since Invasion Day, which has then evolved into Survival Day and involved into our you know, our still standing resistance and our still survival and what everyone is doing in community now. Um, you're also going to see dance groups, art stalls have presented what they would have shown. And so it's also shifted onto that online platform. So now you can go and support those artists online. You can purchase through their website. Um, they'll put all of their stock up. You can message them for commissions. So you also get a bit of that bio that maybe you might not have had time to do on a busy market day. Instead, you get to actually, you know, hear the stories from these artists. We've got bands that have done different sets. And what is amazing, they've actually taken the time to film painting, weaving and cooking workshops. So this is all still available for another couple of weeks on the website. Yeah, so if you head over, it'll be, it's an unlisted YouTube video, so don't head over to YouTube and try searching for it. Go to the Big Eye Theatre um, social media pages and follow the link through there. Great resource, Amarina. So we'll have that in the show information. And so now we have uh, Nathan Brennan dialing into the studio. Hey, Nathan, thanks so much for joining us on Koori Mao News. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be on. Yeah, Jingiwala. If you could just let our listeners know a little bit about yourself before we jump in. Sure. So, so Ginagay, Ginagay Ngojawan, Nanindibija Nathan, Yomnaya, Kumbangir, Panjalang, Kimilaray, Niger, Tarangujalinyanyagigo. So, just setting Kumbangir. So, hello everyone. My name's Nathan, uh, Nathan Brennan. I'm a proud 
uh, Gumbangia Bunjalunga Gamilari man, and um, I'm currently the Chief Operations Officer for Bullery Mulanyangan Aboriginal Corporation. Boogle Bear, that's too deadly. So, Nathan, we know that you're a part of the team that has been creating the Freedom School that's going to open on Gumbangir country. So, tell us a little bit about that. Did someone just wake up one morning in community and say, let's open a school? Well, it's it's. I guess it, you would kind of have to go back quite a, a, a long time before I was probably even born, Amarina. And so, for a long time, our old people have wanted to um, wanted to record and um, record their culture and their languages before they, you know, passed on and passed that on to the next generation. So, um, you know, they, they established a Gumbangir uh, language and culture kind of group. And so what kind of evolved from that was the Murabai Aboriginal Language and Cultural Cooperative down in Nambaka Heads. And so that has enabled our language um, to be recorded um, and for all sorts of language resources to be developed and passed on and to where today we're delivering specific Gumbangia language programs within schools, within early childhood centres, you know, community language classes. And so, um, you know, I guess that's been a journey of about 20, you know, 30-odd years of, of since the revival of Gumbangia language. You know, those old people decide to, they wanted to revive it and continue it. And so, realistically, we're just carrying on their work. And so... Um, with so much that we've done with our language, delivering it within schools, um, doing community language classes, delivering um, Gumbengia language in, within early childhood centres, I guess, you know, the, the next natural evolution was to develop a Gumbengia language school, our own Gumbengia language school. And so um, it was kind of a, an idea of our CEO, Clark Webb, for a long time because we do... Um, we do tutoring programs within schools. We do um, what we call after-schools learning centres, uh, homework centres. And so we've done a, quite a lot of um, programs within the education space and incorporated language and culture within those programs. And so, you know, one day um, Clark always aspired, you know, as a, as a dream to maybe one day opening our own school, our own language school. And within that school we could have, you know, our, our language and our culture you know, be the crux or the, the framework um, within the Western, you know, in parts of, you know, within that Western education system as well. Um, so, yeah, that was something that Clark wanted to do for such a long time. And, you know, we talked about it, but a lot of it was about capacity. So over time as a corporation, you know, we've built our capacity. Um, we've expanded our staffing group. So we've currently got 20 staff. So, Clark started out 10 years ago, 11 years ago as a, as a volunteer program, you know, just doing after-schools learning centres. And then he started getting uh, government funding and then he started getting money to deliver language programs. And so it's been a, a journey of 10 years to actually build our capacity and have the governance in place to, to the point and, the, and the, the skills within the staffing group to where we were able to um, go through the process of registration through the... New South Wales Education Standards Authority. So, um, you know, we've been able to build our capacity, our skills within our organisation and, and a reputation as well as a, as a corporation that is able, that is well governed, is able to deliver, is, you know, financially it, it's it's managed well um, and all those types of things as well. So, um, yeah, and now that we're kind of at that critical mass where we've hit, where we've 
we've got the capacity, we've got the good governance in place, we've got the community support, we've got the, the language teachers. It just seemed like the natural progression that, yeah, that we thought, yes, we're, like we can manage a school. Um, I've never managed a school before, but, you know, a lot of it was learning as well. So it, it's been a journey over, you know, a, a time of growth over those 10 years to get to where it's, to where, you know, it was an idea to where it was, you know, where we felt we had the skills, we had the capacity to be able to take the leap and take that next step and, and open our own school. So, um, yeah. so yeah, if anything, it's just passing on to mob that, you know, these things are years and years of hard work and it's, you know, it's a lot of it is those foundations that those old people established, you know, 30 years ago when they said they wanted to um, pass on their language and culture and establish Murabai and develop the, a dictionary and, resources and all that sort of stuff so yeah yeah that's too deadly it'd be amazing to be a part of this next generation that's carrying on the vision of the ancestors that went before us was there any other schools out there that had a similar model to the freedom school that you're opening that you could um develop your success off yeah so there for a long time i don't know if people know but there is a an aboriginal school in armadale um which was established up there and so it was just a, a gory school didn't so much um, focus so much on the language component because um, uh, the mob up there, you know, they're still, um, you know, reclaiming their language and putting it together and those types of things. So there has been other communities and um, within New South Wales that, such as that community that has established their own school. So I guess we're, we're a little different where, you know, we've got a well-established language program and so... Um, and, you know, that's taken years and years to build. So, you know, we really wanted to immerse our, our young people that attend our school within the language. So um, we had to look at other models as well um, where where we, we looked at models within the United States. So some of the, the, the schools that are on some of the, the reserves within the First Nations American community. So the, the name Freedom School is actually based off um, some of the names within the, the schools within um, First Nations American people. So they've got freedom schools over there. That's amazing. And so, yeah, so that's where the, the name Freedom School actually come from. Like we like the sound of Freedom School. We thought it aligned to, you know, what we we're trying to do as well. And so we did look at models of, of Freedom Schools, um, you know, over that way. Um so, yeah, the, the idea as such was we're not going to say we're the first community to open an Aboriginal school, but, um, yeah, we're, I guess we're the first type of school to open up with um, that focuses on bilingual, educa- bilingual education from an Aboriginal language perspective within the state. And, and that's, you know, we're not the first in Australia to do that. They do that, you know, in the remote communities. We actually looked at um, Clark, our CEO, went to, to Gullawinku, which is up in um, Elko Island, which is in the Northern Territory, and actually went up there and spent some time um, looking at the at the school up there and kind of seeing how they teach. So, you know, I think for the first five hours or so, they learn uh, all their learning. All their learning takes place in their in their first language, and then in the afternoon they do English. They they start doing some English stuff. So. Um, so, yeah, there has been – we've taken bits and pieces from different models within different systems, you know, whether it was from America, whether it was from, you know, remote Aboriginal communities and, and some of the stuff that's kind of been established in New South Wales. So we're kind of just taking bits and pieces that people have invented, um, you know, and done well 
and kind of kind of tried to take those those elements and and bring them in within our school. So, yeah, I guess that's a kind of a unique a unique model. Um, in some cases, you know, in some instances, it's it's not the first, but it's from this unique perspective, it is with those different elements in terms of being a, a bilingual school. Um, you know, that focuses on an Aboriginal language in New South Wales. I think it's a perfect name, Bruz. I think, you know, as you were saying, bringing all these bits and pieces together gives our jarjams, our kids, the chance to be free to learn their own language and have English as a second language. Um, you know, I love as well that uh, this is going to be New South Wales's first bilingual school, which teaches Aboriginal as a language uh, of of choice and English together. So, look, this is such an incredible idea, Nathan. What it it can cater to students from kindy to grade two. So, what's it going to take for this model to expand? You know, when's it going to be able to be catering to all students in the area? Yeah. So, um, so when we registered, we initially registered to do what they call stage one, which is cater to. Um, and so that was basically, you know, from the idea from little things, big things grow. So, yeah. so over time, start small and then grow the school. And so um, so we've set out within our strategic plan to grow the school every year with the students. So the students that are, for example, that are attending our school that are in year two, um, the Freedom School will expand next year to take in three, uh, what they call stage two, years three and four. And so the students in year two will actually be retained within the school. So... Um, in 2023, we'll, we'll seek accreditation for Stage 2, which is Years 3 and 4, and then the year after, we'll, we'll, um, we'll look to expand that again and look to, to create, to, to gain accreditation for what they call Stage 3, which is Years 5 and 6. So, um, so yeah, we wanted to start small and get the, get the model right um, and then kind of um, expand over time, limit our risk as well, because we want to want to ensure that, you know, this is this is very critical, that we start small and, you know, we get a, a small model that's successful and then expand the model over time. So um, in three years, we're expecting to be a, a full, what they call a primary school from K to 6. And then, um, yeah, subsequently um, over time, go from K to 12. So Yeah, that sounds yeah, amazing. Who can enrol in the Freedom School today? So at this stage, um, so just Aboriginal students at this stage. So um, so we're looking to um, so most of our kids are Gumbengir, but a lot of our kids that are engaged in our programs as well are from off country. So you know they they were Wiradjuri, living on Gumbengir country as well. So a lot of our kids that are engaged in in our programs, yeah. Are, uh, from elsewhere as well so you know we try to be inclusive to all that mob because it's important that as mob you know that are living on our country that you know they they learn about the country that they live on they learn about the culture and the language and um you know any cult you know if it, if they're learning gumbangia it's better than you know learning nothing it's better than you know them learning english and you know other languages that um that might be re- less less relevant to their identity as well so yeah, so at this stage, we're looking to take, we'll, we will have mainly Gumbengir kids with Aboriginal kids from other nations as well living on Gumbengir country. Um, so um, at this stage, we're not open to non-Aboriginal students. So it's about, this is about a revitalisation process for our language and our culture. It's not about sharing culture with other mobs. This is about making our mob strong and focusing on our mob because, 
you know, that our culture belongs to them and we need to really focus our efforts and the very little resources that we do have in terms of language teachers within terms of financial resources really need to be diverted and focused within our own community first. And as we grow stronger and, you know, get this kind of wave of momentum and, you know, we reach a critical mass where we can go out and expand it out to, to non-Indigenous students eventually. But, yeah, it's about – this is really about revitalisation of language. It's about the continuation of our language and ensuring that that lives on and that has to be the responsibility of our young people, um, you know, because it's their language. They're the ones that are going to have to carry it on, really. So, yeah, um, at this stage, just um, Aboriginal students living on Gorbangia country um, at this stage, Amarina. Amazing. Yeah, you definitely need to build your people up first so then you can help lift up the nations around you. And look, for our listeners out there as well, in our previous edition, 767, we have an amazing write-up about the Freedom School that we're talking to Nathan about today. That's in our previous edition. That was written by our journalist, Darren Coyne. So uh, you can get that edition online. Um, Now, look, Nathan, we were talking about getting this type of model um, of bilingual schools being rolled out, you know, not just from kindergarten to year two, but through, you know, to year six and then into high schools. Let's look at a bigger picture. What's this going to take to be rolled out across the country? Well, I think, um, you know, I guess lots of communities are at different stages in terms of their language revitalization processes, you know, different capacities as well. So it's really, it's, um, it'll depend on other communities' capacity to be able to, to resource you know, getting everything that in place that they need for sure. In terms of you know accreditation, in terms of you know having a premises and having the startup financial resources to be able to get the skill off the ground because speaking it is, to the right people. It, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and obviously as a community, we understand that you know um, we have a responsibility to support other communities doing this, and so we're more than happy to work with other communities and, you know, talk them through the process and understand the process and what it takes and the financial resources and the commitment um, that they need to have in place to be able to get something like this off the ground. Because, you know, we've, we've faced a lot of hurdles at times and there, there was a lot of times where I, where I said, oh, I don't know if, the, if we're going to open the school in 2022. You know, For there sure. were some real conversations around that do we put it off to 2023 but all credit to our ceo clark he's one of those people that you know it doesn't matter what barriers there he's just like no it needs to happen it needs to happen and so um and we've we've had contact with other communities you know we see that as our responsibility to support our other brothers and sisters from other communities to be able to empower themselves to teach their own kids and you know revitalize their language because you know all all our languages within new south wales are you know critically endangered some so, you know, we really want to support other communities where we can as, as our responsibility. So, yeah, we're looking forward to hopefully other communities visiting, you know, either this year or in the years to come to kind of um, talk them through the process and support them and even, you know, connect them to some of the partners that have helped us. Um, we've had philanthropic partners, you know, invest financial resources into this as well. So, um, yeah, we're, we're more than happy to um, to extend those you know, to make connections through those networks that we've already established. And um, we see it as only a good thing for for other mobs and, um, you know, a kind of educational uh, revolution, you know, within our communities across New South Wales. So it's very exciting and we're looking forward to working with other communities as, um, yeah, and welcome anyone to come visit and have a yarn. Yeah, it's amazing that you, yeah, 
are hopefully able to expand that out into other communities. So Nathan, I know that speaking about community, you're still teaching or involved in teaching community classes. So can you let our Gumbangir listeners or people who are living on Gumbangir country, how they can get involved in this? Yeah, so um, so Bullery Mulanyangan, one of our, our key focuses has been community language classes and we've been doing those for a number of years now. And so um, I was living in Grafton and so um, I about three years ago, Kalisha Morris and myself decided to establish um, there was no language program, Gumbengia language program in Grafton. And so we established um, a language program which still continues on today and we hold it every Wednesday night at the Gurulgam uh, Centre, which is in Grafton. And so anyone that, that is interested in engaging in those classes, you know, they're more than welcome to come along and um, they can contact the Bullery. They can have a look on the Bullery Mulan Youngen website and contact their office for, for the details in terms of times. And, you know, we're open to all types of learners. So it's been really awesome because over that time, the people that I've actually teached, you know, they've been engaged in that language program for three years. They decide to run their own class for new learners on a Tuesday night. And so now we've got two offerings of Gumbagira language uh, classes that are offered within Grafton. So we've got what we call a kind of introductory, like beginners kind of class, which is established through the, the learners that I taught. Um, so they're teaching on a Tuesday night and they're going to open that up again to to new learners that want to come along and learn the language. And then we have an advanced class on a Wednesday night, which is for people that are a bit more advanced and been involved in the language for a while. And so um, so then we've got those classes in Grafton and then in Coffs Harbour, we have, um, we have a number of community classes as well. So we've got a Thursday morning community class that's open to Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people. Um, and that's ran at our offices here at One Bray Street in Coffs Harbour. Um, and then we have an advanced language class that is um, that is kind of it's kind of like a closed class, but it's an Aboriginal space. That's so just for you know Aboriginal or Gumbangi or people on a Thursday, on a Tuesday night, and that's from 5:30. And we run that out of Coolai Aboriginal Preschool, which where where we deliver some of our language programs um, to kids within the preschool. And so yeah, we're always looking for um, new learners, people to become engaged in the program, and we're also looking for you know people that we can mentor and become teachers um there's a huge demand for language teaching within either within schools or early childhood centers and so you know there is realistic opportunities for employment within those settings as well and even um even employment within our um, own corporation probably um one of the first things that we ask you know when we're looking for new um employees to come on board is okay what is their language uh, capacity like how much how much have they been engaged in the language are they able to teach um as well because that's a it's a like pretty much everyone within our corporation teaches language on top of their normal duties as well we're about language revitalization we're about culture so our name Bullery Mulan Younger means to pass strong so strong in culture strong in language and culture so that one path and then the other path is strong in education. So through being strong in language, identity and culture, our young people will naturally succeed in education. So within school, um, you know, with their reading and their literacy and those types of things as well. Now, we're going to have on our show information links to the Gumbangir language programs, which Nathan was just talking about. So that's going to be yep. based at the Coffs Harbour TAFE campus. And that's still going ahead from February, right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, we'll be starting off um, in February. Um, it's really exciting. The 
the, all the young people, we're just the teachers are really developing a, a really exciting first three week program where they're going to be out on country, they're going to be down with elders, learning about um, some of the old stories, you know, about fishing, how to catch pippies, and, and incorporating their normal education as well. So, so educa- deadly. So English, science, and all that sort of stuff. So well. Hopefully, we're going to get you back on on another episode of Koori Mao News coming up in the future. So, Nathan, thanks so much for joining us on Koori Mao News today. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for calling in. The Koori Mail. Knowledge. Culture. Country. Connection. The NBN Network brings fast internet to you. The NBN Network is available across the country to stay connected with your loved ones across communities, access important online services and education, and grow new business opportunities. Experience the benefits. Contact a provider today or visit nbn.com.au forward slash providers. You're listening to Koori Mal News. Amarina, we have got a pre-recorded interview that I did with Auntie Barbara Nicholson toward the end of last year that we're going to play now for our listeners. And this is all to do with the Dreaming Inside Poetry series. That's too deadly, Nick. I can't wait to hear what you had a yarn about. Auntie Barb, thanks for joining me on Koori Mail News. Oh, it's my pleasure, Nick. Thank you. Now, Auntie Barb, we're going to be talking about a very important project are called Nana Barangarai, the Black Wallaby Project, and the Dreaming Inside Poetry Series. So I know that this is a very important project for you. Uh, You're the founder of this project. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Black Wallaby Project, how it started, and how how you came up with this incredible idea for the Dreaming Inside (laughs) Series? You know, it's an absolutely amazing, wonderful story that had no strategies at all to start with. I happened to have some funding to do a series of poetry writing workshops at Junie Jail uh, in NADOC year, uh, one year, I don't know, 11 years back now. And I think that was 2011. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yep. And so, yeah, anyway... Um, yeah, so uh, I went down there. I had some funding to take a, uh, for five people to go in to the jail for the week in NADOC week that year, uh, but one person couldn't come. So I had this little bit of funding and um, and my uh, colleague who was with me, that is Simon Luckhurst, who is now our project coordinator, uh, he was one of the people coming with us on that trip. And... Uh, we were driving together down there and I had this money left over and just around about six, seven $700. Uh, I, I said to someone, what, so we use it and get a little bit of uh, desktop publishing uh, happening. So, uh, and so we've got something to give back to the lads who contributed. And, um, and so that's how it happened. It was just, it was never any insight that it was going to be any more than that very first little desktop publication. And, Arnie, so, Barb, it seems as though it almost all happened by accident. It sort of. Uh, and, of course, I was associated with the Writers' Centre and it was through the Writers' Centre that we got the funding for that trip. Uh, but when we were getting the book 
together and we'd done as much as we could with it and we were about to send it off to get printed. And uh, Ricky uh, Vasilakis, who was the uh, director at the Writer Centre at the time, she was about to press send and I said, no, stop. I said, put volume one on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not knowing whether there was ever going to be any more. Another one, yeah, um, yeah. And here we are now. We're in the process of getting volume 10. So, we... so, And it's just grown and grown and grown. It's amazing. It's just it took a, on a life of its own because I think once the, the lads from inside saw that they could actually get their thoughts published and their thoughts, their innermost thoughts were considered worthwhile, mm. you know, and, and so they sort of take ownership of it and in a lot of ways they drive it themselves. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Because yeah. this is so, you've just published volume nine this year. We're going That's right, for yes. volume ten. Will be published in twenty twenty two. Now, Arnie yeah. Barb, I believe this volume number nine was a bit different to previous volumes due to the COVID. It, it was indeed because we didn't weren't able to conduct any workshops at all uh, for volume nine. And so, how and did how was, did that work out? How did you get around that and and still be able to well, get that volume out? Uh, a lot was a lot of it was due to the um, cultural officer at the jail, uh, Joanne Burton, who is no longer there now. But at that time, he was there and at the jail, and he was amazing at encouraging the boys. On the other hand, the boys were very keen to do it. They were saying, "Yes, yes, yes, we want it. It's our book. We want our book." Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. And they actually, without any benefit of any workshops at all, they wrote their little hearts out and we had the biggest volume we've ever had. So, num so number nine, even though people actually couldn't be with the tutors and the writers, it was, it's, big, it's bigger than any other volume you've had. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So they just wrote their hearts out. Mind you, a lot of them, a lot of the contributors to volume nine were, shall I say, old hands. You know, they'd been in previous volumes. Right. So, uh, and they were encouraging the new fellows, you know. So it was amazing, absolutely amazing. I, I, I'm so grateful that, you know, that, and that's a wonderful uh, sense of ownership. And if nothing else, if that was the only benefit of God, I think that's wonderful that those fellows think so much of it that they want to keep it going under the most adverse conditions. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, we know for for many young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who get caught up in the juvenile justice system, it's probably not the best place for them to be. I know we've got different types of programs now um, that divert youngsters from the JJCs. And, you know, you've got justice reinvestment programs where instead of kids going to jail, they might be doing something for the community. Um, why why do you think it's critical, Arnie Barb, that for these guys that are stuck in the juvenile justice centres, why is it critical that their voices are heard on the outside? Oh, my goodness me. You know, what they write about is testament to uh, the answers to that question. There's a multiplicity of answers to your question. They, it, 
they write about everything and because we don't edit their work, we don't edit out their spelling and grammar mistakes and so on because it's their voice mm. and it's what they wrote. Uh, and I want that to be heard always. But apart from giving them confidence uh, in their ability to do anything and acquiring another skill, for the readers on the outside, it's it's a clear testament to why those lads are there. You know, if they've missed out on the education uh, train, then, you know, they're not going to get a job. If they haven't got a job, they haven't got money. Uh, and if you haven't, uh, and uh, you can't get a house and all it's of those things. an ongoing cycle. Yep. That's exactly right. And it repeats itself over and over and over. And so, and I think that the messages that an outside reader gets from that uh, is is like understanding. Oh my gosh, I've heard so many people say to me on the outside, "I never knew. Mm. I just never knew." And you know, I I often wonder what planet they're on, but they never knew. Yeah. And, yeah. Yep. Um, sure. Yeah. So it's quite amazing, but. Also, it's very cathartic for the lads mm. to write that stuff. They write about stuff that is never heard in uh, in, in court procedures, mm. you know. Uh, and if it were heard in court procedures, that might have a great influence on sentencing procedures. Uh, yeah, it, it's also clear to me that it's, these are the backstories of the offences that are read out in court. You know, and it's a shame that the backstories are not heard. Yep. And, um, you know, because in a lot of cases, not necessarily all cases, of course, but in a lot of cases, uh, those backstories would be definitely be mitigating circumstances in the legal process. Hey. So anyway. It would give um, a bit of background. I know that you've made comments in the past that this should be essential reading for everybody, for uh, the police force, for juvenile justice centres, for lawyers, for doctors, solicitors, everybody that needs to know the backstory as to why somebody might be caught up in the juvenile justice system. This is the perfect way. Yeah. That, well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, it's... <laughs> It's so hard not to get wrapped up in this and get a bit superlative about it because I just, I'm constantly amazed that it has survived and become what it has become. And I mean, even yesterday, I had friends who have been in Canada for some years and have finally been able to come back and they visited and they uh, work at the University of Alberta in the city of Edmonton in Canada. Yeah, right. And and the books are known there. There's a, an academic there who uses the books in uh, her cultural studies program, which takes in a lot of uh, prison program stuff. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. I know, I know. It's just amazing. It's uh, it's just gained so much. I'm, I'm always gobsmacked. Mm. <laughs> it <has>. But it's not actually – I think one of the things that makes it so successful, if I might just – expand the point, Nick, mm. is that it's a grassroots program. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why the lads inside, or the major reason why the lads inside um, are so constant about wanting it to continue and being involved in it. 
uh, and many of them have said to me, oh, no, if it was if it was one of the government or bureaucratic programs, I wouldn't be bothered. Mm. But it's because it's grassroots program, there's a cultural safety there for them while we are there. You know, there's a soft place for them to fall while we are there. Almost a, a safety net. That's it, yeah. Yep. And because of that, then they feel free to expose themselves and sometimes to the most heart-wrenching degrees, you know, it's, it's, you know, many times I've been there and hearing their stories and I'm in tears, you know, that's. And, and we, we do have to mention, Arnie Barb, that some of the poetry and some of the writing is, is very raw. Um, so for oh. our, for our listeners out there who, uh, we've got information in the show description of this podcast where you can go and buy the Dreaming Inside Voices from Juni Correctional Center. Uh, you can buy the latest, uh, uh, number nine, volume nine, or you can buy the yes. entire series, all volumes. Um, That's right. So uh, we will have that information in our show description. So, Anibab, just going back to the project and talking about poetry, I know poetry for you is a passion. With with all of this rawness that's coming out in this writing, and I've read some of some of the poetry, and some of the poetry is just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, of course, what some yeah. of the mob have been through to to find themselves caught up in the juvenile justice centre, and um, you know having the dreaming inside a series to have an outlet to to speak about these things or to speak about atrocities that um, may have been done to these people. Um, do you think poetry in itself is a great creative outlet for the inmates? Oh, look, I really do uh, because I think uh, in, in a, some sort of deeply buried cultural sensitivity, uh, it, the poetry actually matches a lot with the songlines mm. of, the, of our traditional cultures, which for so many uh, mobs have, has been lost. But... Uh, but somewhere in cultural memory, there is this link mm. between the form of poetry and the form of songline, and and it's easy once they once they get a little bit of uh, guidance about how to make a verse, for example, you know they they're amazing. They're they're off like a rocket, mm. uh, and I think. And they find it an easy uh, form of saying what they want. Uh, you know, I've always thought myself, so a lot of people have asked me to oh, write the biography, and I said, well, which one? But, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but quite frankly, you know, uh, with poetry, I can say in one page what a novelist might take 312 pages to say. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. So... Uh, it, it's it's an art form in trimming away all the unnecessary. So I've often likened it to flower arranging, what is done in the Western world and what is done in Japan with the Igibana flower arranging. They trim away all the excess and just get down to the raw base beauty. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's interesting. It's a very interesting uh, process. I think, look, on every occasion, right from the very first one and right up until the present, uh, any time we go there and we say look, to the fellows, oh, what we're there for, and, oh, yeah, but aren't I can't write. <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, 
you know, I've been hearing that from book one and now I've got 10 books that say you can and now you've published authors. And that is a great boost to them. They, that's such a boost to their morale. And they leave those workshops with another skill set, another tool to put in their skill set that they didn't have before. That's amazing, Arnie Barb. Well, look, Arnie Barb, thank you for having a yarn with me about the Dreaming Inside uh, poetry series. Um, and that's all to do with the Nana Barangaray Black Wallaby Project, which is run through the South Coast Writers. Um, Arnie Barb, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast and we'll speak to you next time. Thank you very much indeed, Nick, and hope you all have a good day up there in sunny New Zealand. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so great to see what elders and elders emerging are doing all across our nation to support our continual survival and keep the culture alive within communities. Absolutely. And Arnie Barb is going to be launching the next volume of the Dreaming Inside series early this year. So hopefully we at Kurimao News can get down there to do maybe even a live podcast with Arnie Barb. And before that, you can check out our latest edition of the Kuri Mail, which is edition 768, which you can find at your local news agent or head online to our website to set up your online subscription for everything knowledge, culture, country and connection. I'm Amarena. And I'm Nick. Google Bear, thanks for listening to Kuri Mail News. Indigenous is where you say. Indigenous is where you Indigenous you are listening to a Kareemau podcast. We would like to acknowledge that we are currently recording on the unceded land of the Bunjalung Nation and pay our respects and acknowledge both the Wijibal Wiable people of this land and elders past, present and emerging from nations all across this continent. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your screen to stay up to date with the latest Kuri Mail News podcast. You can find links to all of our socials and website info in the show notes. We still amidst all these storms, 230 years gone, Belizean score, culture ignore, fictions in city is all of our sacredness shaken and sworn, all the while on indigenous land, we are living out that lies upon, does your mind realize the song, as it posts in subliminal dawn, from ancestors on the rise on, to do not belong, a perpetual cycle of wrongs, it's been glorious, we will time bomb, but yeah, all of our kingdoms, still here, still live on, we still countless original, limitless indigenous nations.